0: Welcome to Content Disrupted, Bold Takes on Brand Marketing. I'm your host, Casey Noble, and together we'll explore what it takes to excel in brand marketing at one of the most exciting and disruptive times in industry history. Welcome back to Content Disrupted. Joining us today is award-winning brand and marketing executive, Doug Zarkin. Doug's known for driving marketing transformation at some of the world's most iconic brands, including Avon, Victoria's Secret, CK jeans, baby fat. I mean, the list goes on and on. So most recently as CMO of Pearl Vision, he actually orchestrated a brand rejuvenation effort that was so successful. It's now a Harvard Business School case study. And now he has a new book coming out. It's Moving Your Brand Out of the Friend Zone. So Doug, welcome to the show. We're excited to hear about the book and everything you've got going on.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. With that introduction, I I wish my father still had an understanding of what I do. He, He still doesn't.
0: Oh, my God. I'm so glad you said that because, you know, I love to ask marketers this question of like, how do you explain what you do to friends and family? Because I end up into this like whole history of publishing and, you know, digital and like, do people get it? How do you explain what you do?
1: So, you know, my dad lives in Del Boca Vista phase three, literally down in Florida. And, you know, when he plays golf with his friends, you know, they always talk about their son, the doctor, their son, the lawyer. And, you know, he explains that my son is a chief marketing officer, and. What I've tried to get him to understand is is my responsibility is really to, to to build businesses and build brands. And I do that through figuring out how to motivate the consumer to, to do what we want them to do when we want them to do it um, in an altruistic way and in a respectful and humility. But that's essentially the purpose of marketing.
0: And especially now, you know, you can say. Best selling author, add that to the list.
1: Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. We, you know, moving moving your brand out of the friend zone, a modern day guide to strengthening your brand's value equation um, has been sort of how I spent my summer. I've been thinking about writing a book for a few years and really never had the time to sit down and do it. Um, but available uh first week in October at, at Amazon. You can find out more information about the book by going to Dougsarkin.com. And I think um by the time this airs, we'll have a, a link up to Amazon to buy the book directly.
0: And I want to talk to you about the book. So as you were writing this, you know, um, you mentioned you kind of spent the summer doing this. I know this was after kind of your exit from so many years, you know, driving real transformation at Pearl Vision. I mean, you had the the award-winning campaign, the Small Moments campaign that was, you know, incredibly well-recognized. And um, I was wondering, as you wrote this, why did it feel so important to get you know, the message out there and what do you really want or hope that marketers reading the book are able to take away from it?
1: So, you know, the nature of marketing is always trying to drive passion internally, as well as obviously use that passion to create meaningful connections with consumers. And, um, A big part of what I love to do as, as, as a human being is to teach, to train, to mentor. And I'm involved in several mentoring programs like Adweek's executive mentoring program. I volunteer through the Association of National Advertisers Education Foundation, where I get a chance to teach at at colleges across the country. And I always found myself, you know, after a meeting or after a presentation, thinking through, you know, how can I bring this to life in a way that could benefit more than just the immediate folks in the room? Um, you know, my team used to talk to me about dugisms, phrases and sayings that would take the complexity of marketing and make it simple, which is a, a big responsibility, especially when you're leading a franchise brand. And so I've been toying for a couple of years about trying to put this down on paper. And then, you know, when I made the decision to step away from Pearl, I realized now was the right time. And so ironically, it took me about 15 minutes to write the outline for for the book and a good three months to actually complete first draft and um, mm-hmm. excited to kind of see how this all comes together. Um, more importantly, excited to get feedback from, you know, young people in their career, folks coming out of college or graduate school or anybody really looking for a little bit of a slightly different way instead of constructs to process the challenge that we're all facing in today's competitive landscape of, you know, how to create brand love. You know, it's mm-hmm. not enough for a brand just to have a friendship with a consumer. It used to be, Mm -hmm. but in Mm -hmm. today's landscape where a brand can be created and launched quicker than ever before, and there are more direct-to-consumer platforms available than ever before, to really create a sustained business success model with a consumer, you have to create a passionate relationship. And so the notion of moving beyond friendship into a deep brand love is really what this book hopefully provides some tools and constructs to think about how to use.
0: I think that's awesome. And, you know, you picked such an apt metaphor and to put it in really powerful terms. I mean, you talk about passion, right? But it really is. It's like when you when you are able to, you know, captivate customers truly and do that consistently. I feel like it's not just about there's so much about capturing the immediate clicks. You know, it's about that first moment or one asset, you know, and making sure that that's successful, but it's really a whole ecosystem that you have to be thinking about and delivering like a consistent, really compelling narrative um, all the time uh, in order to, to trigger that kind of relationship with your customer. What, can you unpack a little bit, you know, the sort of challenge in the market dynamics that you think are at play here, you know, and sort of the dri- difference between like how to market successfully today versus, you know, when you were first agency side, you know, really kind of starting out your career. Today's
1: landscape, um, the choices and options that are available to marketers are more robust than ever. That's an advantage, but it's also a disadvantage because back when I started out in my career, you know, you had, you know, fundamental cable television, you had print, you had out of home and you had, you know, terrestrial radio. And you had a finite set of tools, which really put the onus on developing amazing creative, which was a really good thing. As the world got more sophisticated and a digital ecosystem became prevalent, brands got a little sloppy and used targeting as a way to perhaps make up for communication that really didn't strike that human chord. You know, today, I believe more than ever that consumers make emotional decisions before they make rational choices. And that kind of speaks to the notion of creating brand love. And so just because you can micro target an audience at almost the zip code level, actually at the zip code level, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that your messaging is crap. And I think today's marketer has to balance the micro nature of planning and buying that exists in almost every channel from streaming television to display, to paid search, alongside having really good damn creative that connects the human truth of your target audience and your brand truth and kind of finds that intersection. That is more difficult than ever. And that's really something that I talk about in the book and provide some things to think about and ways to process um, and make good, smart choices that are relative to the challenges of your business. You know, the good news in marketing, there's no right way to do it and there's no wrong way. It's just about your way away. And mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to do in the book is, is, provide some guidance to help you figure out the right way for you in your career and you in your, in your role to find those connection opportunities with your consumer.
0: That's a, a really liberating concept, I think, is that you don't have to think there's a right way and a wrong way. And you know, you have sort of coined this concept in marketing of the the think human approach, I think I've yeah. heard you refer to it, which is another like a brilliant distillation, right?
1: I was really inspired by the movie, Jerry Maguire. So if you remember, you know, Tom Cruise's movie, Jerry Maguire, when Jerry writes the the manifesto, you know, stays up all night, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe he was on a ketamine high. I don't really know, but (laughs) you know, comes up with this premise of, you know, less clients, greater emphasis, better service, Mm -hmm. less money, strip out the less money thing. Cause I actually don't think it's true. I actually think Mm. if you can, the principle of thinking human, really comes down to recognizing, number one, your audience isn't a set of data points on an Excel chart. It's it's a set of emotions um, and feelings, much like a brand is. The second thing is from a philosophy of how you engage with a customer. If you take the notion that every customer is your only customer, you're going to do the right thing when nobody's looking. And Mm -hmm. there are so many successful case studies of brands that embody it. Brands like the Ritz-Carlton that empower Everyone from their housekeeping staff to their front desk staff to make something right with a customer, a guest, if they see it incorrectly, without having to escalate at 10 levels or wait for a GM to sign off on it. That empowerment to do the right thing for a human being to ensure that they had an amazing experience is really the premise of what thinking human is. And as a leader, the idea of thinking human is recognizing that every member of your team has a movie going on in their head not Jerry Maguire per se. It could be a comedy. It could be an action adventure. It could be a tragedy. It could be a love story. And just like you and I are talking right now and you're getting a sense of my life in my home office, we have a unique pathway into the lives of our our team members through hybrid and remote working. And it gives you a better sense of the people that power the brand. And as a leader, you have to take stock of that and figuring out how to really galvanize the group behind a common cause and get the best performance out of them while them enjoying the
0: ride. I love that idea of the people being the power behind the brand, it's so true. And so are there any specific um, ways that you have, or, you know, activities that you've done with team members to sort of galvanize them around this concept? And then, you know, also in sort of making this a unified approach and getting the whole brand and, you know, other execs behind the vision, like, how does that, you know, messaging differ as like the leader of the marketing vision and the brand vision? You know, how are you communicating to your C-suite peers to get everybody on board? And then how are you galvanizing your team yeah. like day to day?
1: So, you know, the the team is the most important thing. Um, you know, as Bo Schembechler, the, the famous head coach at the University of Michigan football said, you know, the team, the team, the team. For me, the core of how you begin that process is by being vulnerable as a leader. Um, they are your family. And so I expose them to my family. You know, not literally, I don't have them running on camera doing a Zoom call, <laughs> but you know, we begin every status call with, you know, how was your weekend? You know, all right, somebody tell me something funny that happened. And sharing the good, the bad, the pain, the joy with your team as people allows them to become invested in you as a person yes, we do team outings. And, you know, for a while we did this thing called Mixtape Monday, where a member of the team would pick a song for the week that we would play at a status meeting. And it was just a fun way to kind of get a sense of people's musical tastes. But the tenor and tone of how you conduct yourself in meetings really is the essence of thinking human when it comes to being a leader. In terms of the C-suite, um, you know, a brand positioning is is more than just the, the North Star for your marketing and communications. It's really the North Star for your brand. And it's the behaviors that support it. And I think part of the role of a, of a chief brand officer, chief marketing officer is to ensure that that is front and center in every major meeting and every major discussion, always bringing things back to how does this pay off our, of our customer? How does this pay off our brand positioning? You know, there are th- sort of three things that you do. You ask yourself is, is something on brief, is it on brand? And then do you like it? You know, the do you like it is completely subjective. The on brand should be completely objective as should the on brief. So it really takes a lot of the guesswork out and focuses the discussion more on the how, not just the what. And look, if, if you behave in how you go about your goals as a human being with passion, with purpose, um, and celebrate that progress along the way, then inevitably you're gonna have a much better output and you're gonna convey the kind of person that you wanna be and the kind of leader that you are.
0: hmm awesome. I, I, so, I mean, I'm hearing a lot of, you know, the essence of, you know, leading by example, but also like leading by making sure everyone is asking the right questions, that you're yeah. asking the right questions, sort of orienting the organization around that. So in that spirit, I wanted to talk to you about like really getting a great sense of the customer that you're trying to reach right now, I feel like there's kind of this debate, almost like the performance marketing, like brand marketing, you know, brand storytelling debate around like personas versus like audience and segmentation. Like, have we, have marketers gotten too like persona focused? Um, Do you think personas are actually kind of uh, an unhealthy exercise in the way that they've traditionally been built? Like, what are your thoughts around that? You
1: know, you, You can't ignore relevant data points when it comes to looking at, you know, some of the demographics, gender, et cetera, that are using your product or service. You you can't ignore it. You'd be kind of an idiot Mm. if you did. But you have to be thinking emotions, attitudes, feelings, and perception values. I'm a big fan of the archetypes. I think Mm. painting a picture of your target consumer, their lifestyle helps you to evaluate choices, especially when it comes to media and relationships better than a set of data points are. Just because something ticks off the data box doesn't necessarily mean it's the right decision for the brand. Because again, you want to put things through the human lens. You know, a decision that looks good on paper that doesn't factor the human side of the equation may not pay out the kind of results that you think. So for me, at the very least, when I go about building a marketing plan, I always ask myself, you know, who is the target? What are they on paper? You know, what's their driver's license say per se? And then more importantly, from a lifestyle perspective, that's how you really can break through the clutter is by taking that kind of all points of contact approach that you get through truly understanding the world and the challenges that they're living in.
0: And what do you think are some of the things you haven't already mentioned that sort of are putting brands in the friend zone today or making them sort of like either getting them stuck or even like blinding them to the fact that they are there, like, You know, how do you trigger that realization?
1: So this one's controversial, but I'll throw it out. I think an over-reliance on data
0: Mm. is one of the
1: biggest hurdles because data does not make decisions for the modern day marketer. Modern day marketers use data to help make decisions. And the reason is, is because data is only as good as the questions that you ask. How do you know what questions to ask? You get that through really understanding your brand. That means shutting up and listening. That means being... Insatiably curious. That means if you are a brand that has a front line, whether that's virtual in terms of ecom or actual physical brick and mortar, get your ass and work with them. You know, you're talking to one of the few men that can proudly say, not because it's fun to torture my 15 year old daughter with this fact, I was an Avon lady. You know, when I worked at Avon, I spent the first six weeks out, six weeks out in the field selling lip gloss because it helped ground me in the truth of the brand and the business and the values it helped me understand better the data that was being presented to me about the experience and i think that's so true in any business the most important tool in your toolbox as a marketer are your frontline associates you know they are a living breathing embodiment of your brand brands that don't invest in training that don't treat their associates with the with the reverence that they should it doesn't matter how good your advertising is if it falls down in execution at the frontline it's not going to be a good thing Not going to get great results. So long way of saying that I I think not understanding how to properly use data is probably the biggest, followed by a real lack of process for understanding how to really innovate. Not every idea is a good one. I know that's an unpopular opinion, especially in the world of brainstorming, but it is true. You know, not every brand needs an app. Think about how many apps we have on our phone that we barely use. Think about the amount of money and time and thought and, and arguments that went into building said app. It sits on your phone, you use it once a year or twice a year. Why do you need it? You probably don't. So factoring out, and, and there's a chapter in the book, not to hawk the book too much, but there's an entire chapter in the book that provides a construct for how to really think of innovation. Um, because I do think that there's such a pressure to think about marketing as fear of missing out. Fear of missing out is not a marketing strategy. You really have to think about how you're going to process through opportunities that may exist and force rank them and evaluate them and then figure out if it's even worthwhile to
0: do. Yeah. So, you know, don't do not do something if you can't validate your customer is actually going to value that thing. And if you aren't going to do it well, right? I feel like there's also this issue of um, folks who are just chasing too many shiny objects yeah. at once um is just prevalent in marketing um so it's really about having leaders who can help everybody focus and so uh for you know you've worked at some major iconic brands especially you know fashion and retail what is sort of your advice for the marketer who's starting out at, a, you know, a brand new brand, a startup or a brand that's less well known. We're like the idea of brand, you know, it's like, yeah. can they expect to become a brand? Like, how do you build that sort of from the ground up? What would be your advice to them?
1: <laughs> I like to use the phrase sell more chicken. And, and here's what I mean <laughs> by it. Okay. If, if you are a company that has launched a product, let's say a chicken product, let's say you're you're a, a, a startup QSR business and you're known for your chicken fingers. When it comes to building that product into a brand, the place to go is not to try to sell pizza. It's to sell different iterations of chicken. Okay, so if you are selling chicken fingers, maybe you start selling roasted chicken. Maybe you start sell, selling chicken sandwiches. Sell more chicken is really the premise of go narrow and deep. You know, you don't have the luxury in today's landscape of, of simply innovating for the sake of innovation and thinking, well, you know what, they'll give us a shot. Too many choices and options, too many micro Instagram brands, too many influencer brands out there. Um, you're never going to have enough marketing money to compete in trying to schlock something that's off-brand. Focus on going narrow and deep, master your craft, build concentric circles around it, and again... Any piece of innovation, most importantly, you have to ask yourself, is it on brand? If you're a company that specializes in delivering the most tasty chicken, is selling pizza on brand? You may find a way to say it is. I don't think it is. So I think don't try to be everything to everybody. Be something amazing to someone. That's how you create brand love. Friendship is like, uh, they're okay they do a little of this they're, they're okay they're fine i can hang out with them every once in a while love means that you can't live without them
0: mm-hmm. so
1: really master your craft
0: i love that because it's it's sort of like you know you have to make sure that they can understand who you are sure. on just as deep of a level in order to evaluate even you know whether you're they want to be in love with you right and then make yourself <laughs> lovable to that one person <laughs>
1: Yeah. And look, this isn't, this isn't saying that there may not come a time in a place where you can start selling pizza, but if you're a, mm-hmm. an incubating brand, if you're an entrepreneur yeah. who's starting something really understand that you've created, begun to create a relationship with your consumer based on a specific product or category that you're in nail that product in category, more colors, different fabrics. If you're in the fashion world, you don't have to feel the feel the need to do something outside of your current competency immediately. Because if you're a small brand, you don't really have that much of a failure tolerance, because mm-hmm. you don't have the capital.
0: That makes sense. And that's just an opinion.
1: I, there's there's twenty other opinions that'll give you a different way. That's just the way I think about things.
0: I was wondering if you could walk us through a little bit of a um, you know concrete example from your experience where you led a transformation effort. Um, That was really successful in taking a brand that was sort of in the friend zone, you know, and putting them into like next level of different. I mean, Pearl is the
1: Pearl is the best example. Um, You know, when I joined the business in 2012, the brand had had five different brand positionings over an eight year period. And while the brand had incredible name recognition, it lacked educated brand awareness and it lacked brand love. The business was really building itself year after year over really aggressive discountings. Um, buy one, get one free had been in the system for two decades. And that's not to say that offering an incentive isn't necessary in a competitive category like eyewear, but the, value, the brand value equation, which I summarize as value equals experience as your numerator divided by price as your denominator, was so heavily weighted to the denominator, getting that as low as possible, that we were really missing out on the opportunity to create brand love through a quality of care that really existed, but wasn't being leveraged, wasn't being showcased, wasn't being prioritized. And so the small moments campaign, which I appreciate your thoughts on earlier, was really about reconfiguring the brand value equation to emphasize quality of care. If we could deliver an amazing patient experience from the exam room to the retail floor, we didn't need to be aggressively discounting in order to have a a positive brand value equation. And whether you're making 50,000, 500,000 or 5 million a year, everybody wants value from the brands in which they invested. And so over the 11 year period, we were able to, you know, eliminate buy one, get one free, really drive up our quality of care perception so that right now Pearl is number one on Google when it comes to quality of care and really propel Pearl to an unprecedented degree of profitability and growth. um, and most importantly, trust. The communities where Pearl Vision is located, our owners and our operators have done an amazing job in really connecting themselves and earning that trust. It was evident during the pandemic. It was evident in the fast recovery and and progress through the pandemic. And it's evident in the fact that, you know, the brand today is in the healthiest place it's ever been, being a top 7% brand on Entrepreneur's Top 500 list.
0: You have been noted as you know, online and people who talk about you on LinkedIn, you know, I've seen a lot of folks mention, and you mentioned earlier, all of your volunteerism, how you enjoy teaching, you know, your your skill as a leader. I'm really curious, you know, was that something that was always kind of innate for you? Is that something that was honed? Like, what's your best career advice on leadership?
1: No, I, I didn't start out as a great leader. I was so incredibly focused on in the early part of my career on achievement that it wasn't until later on in my career that I realized that number one, you could go further faster when you have a group of people that believe in you. Number two, it's a hell of a lot more fun to have that group of people getting to the top of the mountain and taking a selfie is not the same thing as getting to the mountain at the top with a group of people and taking a group pick. I had to learn leadership. And I would say through my time at Pearl in the franchise community, I learned how to be a leader. I learned how to really effectively take a group of individuals and galvanize them behind a centralized purpose. Yes, I had other leadership opportunities throughout my career and and had a degree of success along the way, but it wasn't until I was forced to lead in, in what arguably is the most complex ecosystem on the planet, which is franchising, and really transition this brand from where it was to where it is, did I really have to think long and hard? About the kind of human being and leadership approach that I wanted to take. And I'm grateful for my colleagues and for those that are, that were on the ride with me for their patience as I got comfortable being a leader. Um, and you know, today feel very comfortable in, in the way in which I can move a group forward. It, it always comes back to an enthusiasm for what you do. Passion is contagious. It's the number one thing I look for when I hire somebody on my team. I can teach you the skill. I can't really give you the will. I can bring it out of you, but you got to be somebody who comes in excited and curious.
0: Curiosity, fire in the belly. Awesome. The most important aspect sure. of successful marketing. I feel like those are sort of the themes, you know, that you hear in talking to other marketers all the time. It's really, you have to have a passion. And, and you know, you were talking about your dad earlier and and, uh, and how, when was the moment that you knew like marketing was for you. Cause some people get into this industry from really like kind of circuitous route. You, you got your degree in marketing, but like, was there another path, you know, that you were going to explore before when
1: I have two degrees in marketing, but I actually didn't know I wanted to be a marketer until I went to the client side. Mm. Um, when I made the move from the agency world to, to Avon, um, and recognized that I could impact not just the what, but the why, you know, moving from the agency world to the brand world was an opportunity to influence the decisions that were being made, not just the budget that was being handed out or the brief that was being written. It was the strategy behind it. And what was infectious for me, what got me incredibly excited was the opportunity to take an idea, create a strategy and move it from inception to execution. And I was able to do that at Avon and was blessed to, to receive best executed launch strategy from Women's Wear Daily, which I think furthered my excitement that, you know what? I could be pretty damn good at this. And that certainly doesn't mean that I haven't had my missteps along the way. But what I learned was that I had an innate ability to kind of combine the art of marketing which is more than just creative, it's the nuances, along with the science of marketing, which is the numbers and how to read numbers and how to see what the numbers aren't saying and bring those two things together. And if you do it right, with the right group of people around you, most importantly, because it definitely takes a team, you can do amazing things.
0: And I, given everything that you've already said, I'm really excited uh, to take you through, you know, our version of the actor Studio questions. <laughs> So our podcast speed okay. round, Uh-oh. right? Um, I know everybody gets nervous, yep. but then the the answers are so awesome. So I want you to, you know, just think off the cuff, off the top of your head. What's all right? Let me get in this word- yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, get in the zone. All right, there all we right. Go. I'm gonna ask you a question, then all tell right. me like the word or a couple words that that come to mind. So first question: As a marketer, what keeps you up at night?
1: Fear of missing something that I shouldn't have.
0: And what keeps you going?
1: An opportunity to make a difference. Not just as a leader, but as a person.
0: What marketing term do you love? Bullshit. (laughs) That is a marketing term. (laughs) It gets used a lot. (laughs) What marketing term do you hate?
1: Rationale. That's a good one.
0: What emoji best describes the current state of marketing?
1: I think it's the emoji with the sunglasses. (gasps) Because it's a really cool time to be a brand leader. It really, really is. (laughs)
0: That's a good Um, one.
1: I feel like I have to go back on that, you know, marketing term that I hate rationale. That doesn't mean that I don't believe that you have to have a reason for doing something, but the rationale becomes a crutch for so many people to not think differently. Totally. Because there's such a fear of, I don't have the perfect story. Mm. You know, I talk about something called the 80-20 rule. 80% of the time, if you can get to 80% certainty, you go for Mm. it. 20% Twenty percent of the time, you have to be one hundred percent before you go, in, and that's usually financial.
0: Yep. Yeah, there's a there's room for for gut. You can't be so risk averse, right? I think it goes back to that point you made about vulnerability, yep. which is really important. It's like as a leader, you have to be vulnerable. As a brand, yep. you have to be willing to be vulnerable to take risks. You know, the last question is that you know age old debate. I have a feeling about how you're going to answer, but quality or quantity? Quality. Awesome.
1: No question, quality. (laughs) I
0: love it. Yep, got to be. I was just thinking about your equation, right? Like if you nail that, then you've got a lot more uh, area to flex with that profitability. So with that, I know everybody like me is excited about the book. Can you please remind folks where they can get it?
1: Sure. So if the title, Moving Your Brand Out of the Friend Zone, A Modern Day Guide to Strengthening Your Brand's Value Equation is intriguing, you can go to one of two places. Uh, the easiest place is to go to uh, www.dougzarkin.com. There you'll find a little bit more about the book. You can actually, um, I think, download a free chapter and there's a link to Amazon. It'll be available on Amazon, both in paperback and on Kindle. And uh, debating on whether I want to do a, uh audio book. I, I can't imagine, I think nothing that a marketer loves to hear more than it's sound of his own voice, but I, I can't imagine the amount of grief that I would get from my friends if I did an audiobook and certain actors aren't available to do the read for me. So um, I don't think we'll be doing the audiobook, but dougzarkin.com is probably the best place to find awesome.
0: it. Awesome. Do the audiobook. And folks, we will have those details in the show notes for know. you, just so you can reference them there as well as the links. Doug. Thanks so much for joining again.
1: My pleasure. This was fun.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to Content Disrupted brought to you by Skyward. Stay up to date on the latest ideas and insights in brand building and content marketing by visiting our website at skyward.com. Join us for our next episode where we'll continue to challenge marketing norms and inspire you with fresh strategies for growing business through brand storytelling. See you there.